Are you looking to overrun your characters with a near endless horde of undead? Yes. Or bandits or rats or whatever you want? How about pitting them against creatures from hell flooding out of a gateway? Well, join us today as we talk about how to run monster hordes in Dungeons and Dragons. And I want to preface this with, it's not the only way to do it, it's just the best way. Yeah, dislocate your shoulder while you pat yourself on the back there. Welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your guest, Garvin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Brandon. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next D&D adventure. Now, Yay. I want to take a moment to thank our Emerald patron, Garwin, for joining us. One of the, the benefits is not only a wonderful game ran by me for him and his friends, but also he gets to hang out with us on the show occasionally. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. turning out to be a pretty good game. We're locked in this decision that we just cannot figure out what we're going to do. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? You're welcome. Yes, it is awesome. So I'm really excited for uh, this episode because I feel like, and really, really to make your adventurers get that moment of feeling awesome. Yes, killing a lich or a big boss dragon is fun, but overcoming a horde of monsters is so much more enjoyable, and it really gives you that epic feeling, right? Especially if you can give them that pucker factor. (laughs) Oh, yes. And especially when compared to some earlier editions, a lot of the martial classes aren't necessarily built for it by default in 5th. Yes, and so the rules for it, it is worth noting that the Dungeon Master for 5e Chapter 8 does have details for handling mobs. I don't like it. Not only do I think it's oversimplified, I don't think it's fun. <laughs> yeah. That's just me. I don't know. Did you get a chance to look at that, Garwin? Yeah, I've looked at it now and again, and uh, I'm still to figure out how the fuck it actually works, because I just don't <laughs> care enough to try. I'm yes. getting, you said it's a, it's a table, right, for a d20 or something? Yeah, it's you're basically just rolling success. It's... Yeah, it's good if you like, got nothing I've, else, but it's like, like wizards is just it, like. But <laughs> when I you figure it out. Through, I, just, <laughs> I don't care enough to properly read it. Yeah, and and that's the thing. You shouldn't have to read it twenty times to get it. But one of the uh, the the benefits of the style we're going to talk about today is it really helps to keep combat going, and it really isn't. Mm. It doesn't add a lot of work. In fact, I think it lessens the work on the DM compared to some of the other strategies. And there is an episode we had talked about in the past of mass combat, which is talking about dealing with like massive wars, right? This is mm-hmm. uh, having a horde battle isn't really the same as uh, a mass battle where you got two large armies going against each other, right? Nope. It's usually just the adventurers, maybe a couple other groups versus a being overrun, right? Yeah. Actually, I believe the uh, uh, mechanic we're going to be talking about today has also been used in... Um, Another adventure I did that was for sailors on a boat. Ooh, maybe you can uh, use that as an example when we get in there. So maybe. So I really want to get into this. This it it it's gonna sound super simple and silly at first, but promise, stick with us. I promise by the end of it, you will be just as impressed at our awesomeness as we are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, at this rate, you're gonna need to see a chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't use my hands to pat myself on the back. 
Chiropractor. Again. Look, if funny. this keeps going, your ego is going to outperform match skill. <laughs> Alrighty then. But so let's get into it. Um, what really separates a horde as in D and D as far as individual monsters? Uh, lots of them. Okay. Well, give me some examples. Uh, to see if we tackle these problems, we need to know what those are, right? Instead of wandering into a tomb of a zombie or two, you wander to a graveyard and all the graves pop Just up. Pop up. Now you got 20, 30 zombies coming at you. That okay. was That's a horde to me. All right, Garwin? Well, you could also walk into a cave and before you know it, there are kobolds everywhere. And you're trapped. Fucking kobolds. And they're trapped in here. Don't forget <laughs> those. Or a marauding uh, band of uh, orc raiders. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one, too. Mm. So there's bigger girl mode like that. So, but what? what oh, yeah. So, what makes a mass combat like that feel mass though? Is it the hail of arrows, the barrage of creatures grappling and trying to pin you to the ground and overrunning your character with like five of them on top of you? What, what is it actually gives it that unique horde feel? Is it I slay one and another one fills its place? I think from the beginning, it's the number of tokens you put on a field if you use a map. Okay. That will make players shit themselves. I would also say to a degree where you feel like you're going up against a large amount of enemies, but at the same time, you feel like you can do this. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that does. My personal favorite is a simple method where you make the players feel like they're just a tiny portion of this actual battle. Yes. That's what I was looking for. Because that's yeah. that's really hard to do in mm. in in most circumstances without having 100 monsters. But if you have 100 monsters on the field, if they go before the players, the bounded accuracy system in 5e probably is going to kill that. Yeah, I mean, that is the unfortunate method of a turn-based system. If, like, if, if a thousand enemies go ahead of you, you're probably dead. When, <laughs> in reality, if the wizard had gone first, they would be dead. Yes, and, and that's one of the things that I think really makes the the current system difficult for that, right? Yeah. So As is, yes. So the question is, is there a solution where we can get this feel of slaying lots of monsters, destroying the group... And having it still feel like an ongoing power struggle in but, the game. Well, there's multiple solutions, but we're going to be mainly focusing on one. Yes. <laughs> so we're gonna we're we're gonna talk on three primary points today. But the first one I want to talk about is the swarm mechanic. Do you guys uh, do you, are you guys familiar with the swarm mechanic? Uh huh. I've heard of it. It is one of my favorites. So um, we'll use the example for the rat, where it says the swarm can occupy another creature's space and vice versa. And the swarm can move through any opening large enough for... I put two wagons um, to represent a, a big horde because, you know, you still want to have some sort of control there. I think for the rats it was an inch space or something. Yep. Um, the swarm yeah. can't regain hit points or gain temporary hit points. That's it. That's all it provides. I believe the reason they say inch space is because it's the amount of space a single individual of the horde can get through. Yeah, that's fair enough. I like that. So... Here we have a, a solution to the problem of making it feel massive. So let's start with mm. the gargantuan stat block, which is basically 20 by 20 or anything bigger, right? Yeah. So mm. basically you're filling the entire area with these. Let's We'll do 20 by 20 just for the sake of uh, talking, right? So in this, that's a big, that's a big square area, so four by right? Four? Yeah. Yeah. 
And so the players can share that area, which means as the horde moves, it creates a, a kind of a overflow around the environment, right? Yep. Which makes it feel like a horde right out of the get-go because the characters mm. are standing inside the quote-unquote monster. So for this one, we're going to take a really large monster, apply whatever CR rating we want, and give it the swarm feature, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So now we've kind of handled the, how do you make it really big? Now, in order for this to make it feel really back and forth, it's going to be hard to move in a crowd, right? So I think that means adding, treating it as what? Rough terrain? Yeah, difficult terrain, right? So that gives you the feeling of bumping into monsters and everything. But you'll notice that also means moving within doesn't necessarily provoke op attacks. No. Now, for me, this is where it becomes easier to track as a dungeon master. Since we're not going to be triggering 20 op attacks, we don't got to worry about tracking all that stuff. And even then, you you don't necessarily have to use one big swarm. You can use one or two smaller swarms. Yes, and actually I was going to touch on that later, but since you brought it up. So let's say you do a a 50 by 50 and the (laughs) mage fireballs the center. You can then shrink it into two separate smaller ones that need to recombine um, to to become the big horde, or they just stay as smaller hordes. And the swarm feature does that. Additionally, swarm monsters, their damage output goes down as... They lose hit points. Yep. So Mm. that's the other metric that we're going to use, right? As it loses hit points, it's going to do less damage. Because that's what you would expect, right? Um, Garwin, do you have any thoughts on this? I will admit, I do love the swarm mechanic, especially when it comes to, like, the tiny creatures. Mm Because, like, when it comes to rats and whatnot, you can treat each hit point as an individual rat, for example. Yeah. You can do that same thing here, too. It does get more muddy when it comes to these bigger hordes, when you have orcs and whatnot, you know? Because then it's like you need more health for like less individuals, effectively. Yep. But it really does bring a real fun image up when someone does, like, let's say, thirsty damage, and you have to describe how they kill thirsty rats. Right. Yeah. Fire. Do you guys got anything on that? A really big hammer. <laughs> A really big hammer. So the the second thing we want to touch on is um, the swarm, or in this case, the horde. A horde or the swarm mechanic has specific immunities, which I think fits the group vibe very well. They're immune to charmed, frightened, grappled, paralyzed, um, petrified. Basically, most things that all affect like a single creature. So, Mm. you know, freezing one person in a battle of a horde isn't really going to be game changing yeah right so it kind of yeah. offsets that a little bit and the best part too is you can still try to cast a sense effect and say yes you froze dennis go look with his 29 friends <laughs> <laughs> uncle dennis <laughs> come charging uh, at you that does beg the question what happens when a horde casts mass suggestion on another horde so um, <laughs> one of the things that I, I talk about a little bit later is some of the rules for mass effects like that and the the really the goal is you ha- it depends right if it's like a a mass effect ability then maybe you split the horde yep. like what we were talking earlier and get two smaller hordes one smaller horde mm. that's 10 by 10 another one that's t- 10 by 10 and now this one is under the charm effect so you still feel like that effect was useful yep right mm. so and that's that's a real simple solution to that is it going to target the exact amount no but that's not what you're going for right you're going for ease of mechanic and flavor right yep 
Um, mm. Now, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty of every single one, then you need to be tracking all your monsters and everything, which is just <laughs> obnoxious and boring and for me, not fun because it just takes too long. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it totally does. Um, and I do, I do understand some people really enjoy that, and that's all right. For me, I'm much more of a theater of the mind person, and because of that, this works much better than having a thousand tokens on the battlefield. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to hear Ian's thoughts on that because I know he really likes all the thousand the the token battles. Good. Would something like this be okay with you? Yeah. I mean, and even then, like I said, you can break up the smaller hordes too, and you can. Which means there's multiple ways you can approach it, both visually and from a token standpoint. Absolutely. So it it, it arguably can increase flexibility in some cases. Yeah. Uh, Wizard Cadia says, you know, freezing multiple, you could bottleneck the horde in the crowd. So we talked about splitting the group. Yep. If you freeze the group in front and it splits, they have to now go around or something like that, right? And once again, we're using the the stat block of one creature. We're just yep. giving it a few different abilities to offset the fact that it needs to represent a horde. And probably more hit points. <laughs> well, and probably, and probably more hit points too, but even it depends on the CR too because you don't necessarily yeah. need to do that. If you're fighting a group of three adventurers, you can make a horde that's a CR3. Just pick a CR3 stat block that's made to go against the group. That's fair. <laughs> and you're going to offset the action economy by one of the other the other two tips we're going to talk about here in a second, which is lair actions and legendary actions. Yep. Because that's the advantage of a party against a single monster, right? Yeah. Is they have action economy. So we can easily offset that using lair and legendary actions and even reactions, right? Yep. Um, so aside from the uh, creatures being um, tied into, say, the, uh, the swarm mechanic, as well as the immunity to a bunch of the other conditions the third thing that swarms provide and we touched on already is the fact that they get progressively weaker as their hit point goes down now this doesn't have to and they all have a shared ac right yep um so once again that follows the picking one monster the ac doesn't change though you could make an argument for uh increasing the ac as there's less of them because then you can't hit them as easily because they're not – I mean if you swing a giant sword in a crowd, you're probably going to hit a couple of them. But if you swing it at one, they're more likely to evade you, right? I, mean, I'm, I wasn't going to mess with that, but I can see somebody wanting to do that. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Okay. Or I could actually see like a damage by a fire going down too the more damage you do to the horde. I, there's lots of things you can do. Hmm? And actually that's one of the things mm -hmm. that we talk on, on here is about yeah. mm -hmm. starting with a high D die – if it's a D12, maybe when it gets down to 75%, yeah. it goes to a D10. Yep. 50% down mm -hmm. to a D, you know, 8. And maybe you stop there. Maybe you even go lower. I was just thinking, like, maybe just, like, a tie, just the damage modifier, not necessarily the, the die itself. Or you could be... Fair enough. Or this could also be a good mm -hmm. argument, argument to tie it into just doing average damage. Yeah. Maybe what you... the less there are, the faster they are. Because they're not tripping over each other anymore. Ooh, I like that. Maybe you start them off slower, Ooh. too. Darwin, what are mm -hmm. your thoughts? I, honestly, I like those ideas they're all coming up with. It's true, we're great. And I, an idea I've been playing with in my in my mind is a situational multi-attack feature, mm -hmm. where it depends on the amount of squares that are that are in range of your players. Well, if you're standing in the middle of the horde, you should have options. I believe they call it a target-rich oh, yeah. environment. <laughs> <laughs> right, because that's the idea, right? <laughs> if it's a horde, you're sharing a square, so. Ideally, yeah. all around you is targets, right? So yeah. people with the multi-attack are still going to benefit from the no, multi-attack. No, I'm talking about the horde having the multi-attack. 
Like in a like the horde only has as many multi attacks as it has squares within range of a player. That's fair. Yes, but if it's also Up swarmed to over point. top of four players, it can attack whichever ones it wants as well. Mm-hmm. So that's why I added up to a point. Yeah. So it it there uh, there on some situations you're going to have to to find a balance there. But yeah. once again, if it's a CR three, let's talk about the veteran stat block. It gets three attacks. So you got a th- yeah. three a CR three horde that is let's say gargantuan. Let's do thirty by thirty, and you reflavor them as zombies. Maybe you give it the undead mm. horde feature, right? <laughs> um, and have fun with that, right? You could even limit it to, like, let's say two or three attacks per player at maximum. Yep. That would also bring in the whole danger of trying to avoid being in and I, uh, the center of the horde, because that's when, like, all the things can properly hit all your players. Yes, and so for me, the horde would try to, like, swarm over all of them. Ooh, mm. this is one possible option, but you could probably give it a engulf feature, similar to... Yes. Don't its cubes. Yeah, I definitely. Uh, uh, the cubes oh. or the shambling mound, I think they all have that. Yeah. That's perfectly mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. acceptable, I think. Oh. Yeah. I, th- that's kind of like the fun thing about this horde feature. You, there's lots of options you could do. Give it to an undead horde. Have that ro- have that whole shambling mass coming for you. You just get automatically grappled as they come, as they overwhelm you. Yep, shambling mound. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about some pretty key features. Um, you just mentioned adding monster traits. I think that's how you make your hordes stand out. So yep. the difference between a CR3 veteran and just calling them a bunch of guards <laughs> is as simple as making them undead and giving them undead uh, uh, fortitude, right? Yep. So for me, that's just flavor at that point, right? Yep. You still get three attacks, so instead of uh, two long swords and a short sword, it's uh, you know three punches and a kick, or three headbutts and a punch, you know whatever, what, yeah. whatever you decide. What 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 if it's like it's a horde of zombies, right? But you give it an aura, like a necrotic aura. You take necrotic damage because it smells so bad. Oh, that's nice. I think there's oh. an ability for that on the troglodyte, actually. <laughs> yes. You know, actually, I think it should be poison damage. Yeah. Yep. So so there's a yeah. lot you can do adding <laughs> that flavor and that uh, that feel of whatever horde you're trying to go for and it's not not hard really to be honest um the uh next thing is it's important to include um the fact that the horde probably isn't wielding all the same weapon so unlike the veteran stat block that's basically all slashing damage you can substitute it for slashing (laughs) slashing bludgeoning and piercing at will and just describe oh the the bandit comes up with a giant uh you know, table cue and beat you at the side of the head with it. You take bludgeoning damage or the thug comes up with a, uh, a, a, a broken bottle and, you know, (laughs) tries to stab you with it. You take piercing damage. Um, that is a way to then differentiate the attacks from the horde, right? Yep. Even if you're attacking the same person, if they're standing in the middle of the horde swarm, everyone around them is trying to attack them. Yes. You're going to lose the attack of opportunity mechanic, I don't think that's necessary when we get into the legendary actions. Side note, I'm actually surprised you haven't given hordes advantage on grappling checks. Just saying. So <laughs> when I had run this, I've run this three times so far, and I've really enjoyed how it's turned out. And yeah. um, I really wanted to, but I didn't want the hordes to... Be too ridiculous. Get, yeah, so the fact that they're already immune to grapple and can grapple you 
already seem like mm. quite a bit of an right. advantage, right? Well, just because it's the argument yeah. of just multiple guys trying to grab you. Trying to grab you, yeah. And, I, and that's <laughs> definitely something that I understand. Yeah. Um, all right. So the other thing we want to touch on is the fact that we want to give our abil- monster, uh, our horde monster uh, <laughs> legendary actions. The reason for this is simple. There's lots of guys. There's lots of enemies. <laughs> so yeah. the, you, having technically one monster stat block, um, you're going to have a concern with, say, action economy. Yep. Ooh, good question, Wizardius. How would you handle a horde of rage attacks or mix atta- attacks of fighters and archers? All right. So you're getting ahead of me, but this is where <laughs> I feel lair actions and legendary actions come into play. Sure. So you treat those mm-hmm. as those special conditions so maybe there's a couple wizards in there and maybe there's archers um you could say that all archers and stuff are on cue are scattered throughout the the horde and are releasing bolts right and those damages can go down as the monster loses its hit points just like the rest so you say i'm going after the archers you release a fireball right <laughs> boom you, you make attack it brings it down to 75 percent. now there's less archers less monster damage overall Something I think you could do too with a sort of range attacks is instead of having like be, just be a straight range attack, make it like an area effect. Like I've seen people do that before with like uh, oh. Collins of Archers firing. <laughs> yep, and, and that's kind of what the, the some of the um, the oh, layer awesome. actions can be, right? <laughs> yeah, because it can just be okay. There are you know a, a contingent of archers. The horde uh, does one d twelve, you know, piercing damage. On a uh, make a deck save. If you succeed, you take you know half damage, yep. and then as you weaken the entire horde, that damage gets down because maybe they're running out of arrows and they're having to pick up weapons. Maybe somebody's getting blown up. That all comes down to the narration, I think. Yep. Or they're chucking javelins. Um. Or they're chucking javelins. Right. How would you handle a ranged attackers in the horde? Not all players. They better try to run out of the horde. Well, what about what about uh? He says it's like a twenty by twenty horde. What if they're aiming at something on this side of the horde? Does it still? You're still. You. I would still you're, say you would follow the rules, don't you think? I would say you're attacking the horde, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would still be attacking at disadvantage though, because the assumption is you're surrounded. Yep. So drawing a bow, but that's where abilities such as fly or um um uh, uh climbing to a high height to get out of the horde is necessary. What do you think? If you have Darwin? a climb speed, could you climb on top of the horde? <laughs> I could see an argument for that. <laughs> After the wizard mounts one in the player assets, yeah, actually the wizard just blew up a, a a whole entire little segment of them. There's a mound of bodies to get you 10 feet high. Hop behind the pile of dead bards. What do you think, Darwin? <laughs> Roll a good enough acrobatics, and I'm not allowed to run over their heads. <laughs> I like that. So what was that? What was that Xbox game with the uh, the mall and the zombies? Is it uh, Dead Rising? Yeah, where you can like uh, yeah. crowd surf the zombies. Is this what we said, like, the mall? My first thought was, like, the giant hammer. All right. So the other thing I want to touch on is legendary actions. Um, the legendary actions are what can, se- can separate your horde a little bit. So if your horde of bandits has a priest or a acolyte or a mage or warlock or something, instead of treating them as individual monsters, those become the legendary actions, right? Yep. And you have a group of them, right? So... Um, I would never say they got one wizard. No, they've got a couple wizards throughout the throughout the horde, and they've got you know a couple uh, healers throughout the horde. So that becomes part of the legendary action list, yep. and becomes the standard for it. And when maybe they lose some of those mm-hmm. at some point once they get to a certain level. So at fifty percent mm-hmm. they've lost all their spellcasters. At twenty five percent no more healers, or at seventy five percent no more healers. Yep. 
That does bring up a question. What about when players specifically target those elements? So, um, what I had did was, okay, I want to target this. And the first thing that came up was Counterspell. Well, that was easy. I just canceled the legendary action. That was uh, rewarding to them. Um, when they decided to attack those, it came on to reducing the uh, frequency that I used them. So, legendary actions, for instance, you're supposed to be able to get recharged every round, right? So, when somebody attacked mm. it, I treated it like a breath ability where it had to recharge at that mm. point, showing that it was there was less people <laughs> using that power. I also could see, though, that you could use it as argument, though, as um, the more uniform you keep, like the each person in the horde, the better. And mm -hmm. you can, and you can probably have like, let's say like have like the mage who were part of the horde is of being part of the horde be its own, like one, one guy <laughs> that you could do that. You could do that. And, but, and, and I'm oh, just saying that's one option. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of options, right? You yeah. can, you can separate out the hordes however you want, but the goal is to simplify the process as much as possible. And mm. so to do that, if you're going to try to go out and single out every single monster, you might as well just be running all. Instead, you try to take what they want to do and figure out how it can reduce the effectiveness of the horde of what they're doing. So for me, for the counter spell, for instance, was okay. Uh, if you cast a, if you're wasting a spell slot on that, it cancels one legendary action. I move on. They don't take a fireball. Yeah, and that was just the simplest solution to me. So one of the lair actions, uh, I'm a big fan of taking content that already exists and just changing it. Yeah, that's usually um, real simple. <laughs> for the lair action, I found a monster that had one that was similar. The white, adult white dragon has a lair action that does jagged ice spears, right? So I just uh, said, okay, it's not ice spears, now it's arrows. And it targets up to three targets. So if you got five players, yeah. you're only going to be able to hit three of them every top of the initiative. But it still is gives that horde feeling, right? Yeah. Where the barrage of arrows are just coming in. Deck stave works too, I think. So. Yeah, um, no, I'd been I've been uh, thinking, just in having uh, healers, within the the hordes. Mm -hmm. I thought I had mentioned in the beginning that the hordes do not can't gain healing or temporary hit points. So that's the special condition. That's a condition of a swarm. They can't gain powers under normal or healing under normal conditions, and they can't gain temporary hit points. That's mm -hmm. just the feature of a swarm. If oh. I was to include those in right. my horde, I would just ignore that rule. Huh. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, or make in, it half with as the effective. Swarm, the assumption is that uh, that ev every hit point is a specific creature. If you wanted to, technically speaking, if you want to heal that, <laughs> you'd have to use resurrection or necromancy. Yep. Yep. Huh. I've also known in past editions too. I've seen like with like uh, swarm creatures, they'll take like half damage on individual attacks, but double damage on like <laughs> area effect abilities. Mm -hmm. Which yep. I personally house rule as an effect. Yeah. Well, so actually, I haven't got to it yet because you're jumping ahead of me. But so part it's a, it's a huge <laughs> lot of information. I know it is. So uh, <laughs> before we get to what he just touched on, because that's. Something that I had to come up with yeah. during when I was using it. So that, of course, is in here. But the other thing for the um, the last mechanic I want to talk about is, um, the of course, the legendary actions. We delved into it a little bit. Yeah. But there's something that I really think benefits the legendary action in a horde with commanders. Command, using a rea uh, legendary action to command the horde to dodge, for instance. Hmm. To command the horde to shift and move. 
on turns that's not its turn, right? Yep. And because it's a big giant swath, it may or may not move in or out around the the, the players. Um, and that brings up a whole new aspect of having commander ran hordes. Yep. Like soldiers or bandits. Yep. Or or uh, cultists, right? Um, and so that y- it's not just that your legendary actions need to be attacks. They can be defensive in nature. It could be, as Brandon was just pointing out, thought they couldn't heal. One of them could be a command to heal. And then somebody might say, oh, I spot a healer. I'm going to counterspell it and then end the effect um, that they're supposed to you, benefit they're supposed to gain. You could also, like, in a, in a situation where in a, your players want to target specific elements to, like, shut those down, you could ahead of time decide that, like, they have like three wizards to commander or something, and then just ask the player specifically target those. Go like, uh, these take like two, three hits to take down unless they do like up unless they do this kind of damage. So I just use legendary uh, resistance for that. Yep. Um, mm. Honestly, it was uh, simpler, <laughs> and I just reflavored the legendary yeah. resistance to fit the theme. Like one instance, the player said, "Hey, I want to attack the commander." So instead of just saying it's got legendary resistance, I don't. It's usually you know two or three of them. It uh, somebody jumped in front of the loosed arrows and yep. took the blow for the commander. That was the legendary resistance. He was pissed off mm. about that. I was like, he was a good commander. <laughs> I, I've never seen a mechanic piss off so many players in my life. What's that? Uh, legendary legendary resistance. Yes, because nobody describes uh, it. Yeah. If you don't say it's legendary resistance and just describe how they cancel or stop or save or whatever. It doesn't matter. You're yeah. never gonna. It's yeah. when you say those words and they knew they had no chance of success at all. It, it's really heartbreaking. That's why I think it's the worst yeah. designed mechanic in the game because they don't give you anything. You think this yeah. should just be like, able to auto succeed? Nothing really feels worse for a player than when you give it your all, you roll real high, and then the player DM just says no and doesn't explain anything. Yeah. Yep. I I think that that I think okay I I want to take back exactly what I said yeah. I don't think the mechanics is designed I th- poorly I think that the That's there's not enough presentation of how it should be handled yeah is that a little better yes okay because yes. a lot of people say just that oh it's legendary resistance you're boned and they're like oh my god how many of those are there because now they know in their mind yeah. that there's going to be more. Yep, and that's frustrating. So it does, though, for the strategic type of players, it does make it a little fun for them. Where it goes like, okay, so we need to burn through these resistances, so we gotta use these lower tier spells to hopefully trigger them before we go to the higher ones, and then this little puzzle thinking and talking is real fun. Yeah, but that's a specific type of player. So, as Ian so eagerly jumped ahead of me, <laughs> um, beyond just building of the mechanics. Uh, there's important thing as a, a dungeon master to be flexible, especially when you have players that want to do certain things. He just mentioned, if I'm going to fire a fireball into a horde, I'm probably going to hit a lot of people. Yep. So then that just becomes a vulnerability. Yep. Until it gets to a certain point. The lower, the fewer the hit points they have, the less monsters, the less effective the the AOE is. So the yep. AOE starts off as one of the more powerful. Then it becomes maybe at 75%, it becomes standard. So they don't get any bonuses. It just weakens the target. And then at maybe at half, they have advantage on the saves or it does half damage or yep. something like that. Or just keep it simple. And once they hit like a half health, they lose the vulnerability. <laughs> there you go. See, so you can really control that. 
There's a really key rule for that functions for almost everything in D&D. Don't be bound by what you write down. Yes, absolutely. If the situation seems like it, you know, seems to fit, just run with it. Yeah. And you can you can change that as necessary too. Um mm. Uh, for instance, one of the ones I had ran was a mix of soldiers and um, uh, a summoner summoning like magmans, I think it was. Yep. Well, <laughs> now you don't all have fire resistance. So the monster, quote unquote, the horde had fire resistance to half health. And then I got rid of it. I got rid It went down to just normal mm. damage. Just not there. Of course, at that point, most people weren't using fire anymore, so it didn't matter. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the magman. Uh, reference thing that you had had a oh, few, so few awesome. weeks ago. I ran that in a game, oh and it popped my players because oh, he was oh. surrounded by them. Oh yeah, and they they can chain uh, each other. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. It went bam, 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 bam. Yeah, well, like, oh. you gotta be careful. They're immune to fire, so yeah. When they detonate, they blow fire. I might own a player apology. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Oops, but still, that's a lot of explosions around him too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, um, so yes, um, and ugh. you want to take that into consideration regardless of the power that they have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like, one I think time they had hypnotic gaze, and I was like, oh crap, mm-hmm. what am I? How am I going to handle this? Because I think it was it's not hypnotic gaze. It let maybe it is. It, it lets them get a bunch of them at once. It's one of the warlock features. Hypnotic pattern. Hypnotic pattern. And I was like, shh, what am I going to do? <laughs> and I did. <laughs> Or well, I didn't use sleep. Yeah, yeah, or sleep. Uh, but to his point, I was like, okay, well, now there is a ten by ten square of these things just you know standing there. This is a hypnotic pattern. I think of a warlock pulling out this like little disc with a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Fidget spinner. <laughs> um, so oh, overall, um, what do you guys think of this style of combat of running hordes? Uh, and, and 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 is this something you would try doing? It's a good option. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. it's something I absolutely would try doing because there's a lot of this kind of stuff going on in the world I'm doing. I did have a question mm-hmm. about though: is ask once once a horde is starting to get really low on its uh, HP or whatever, mm-hmm. does it split into smaller people who now join in to the initiative? Like now you have two guys and you have this other guy who's going over with this other horde and he's helping them out. So I'll probably just keep the same initiative. Yeah, so I wouldn't change the initiative, but. One thing he mentioned earlier I want to talk about is oozes. One of the oozes, they split when they get certain hit points. So you could just have that mechanic planned out ahead of time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he's talking about just making it as something part of the game, but you could make it at 75, they split into three smaller, and at 50, there are two two of them. The other ones kind of mix, you know? So it's, uh, for me, it's it's certainly a um, simpler mechanic that exists within the game that we can leverage to make the game run smoother and still get that epic boss battle horde feel. Yeah. Oh God. Um, and that seems silver wolf pretty much says, says the same thing. He thinks it's an easier option than the, from the mechanic standpoint. Like something I like doing with swarms is like, for example, when players go down two separate hallways, one plans to basically use ranged attack on the horde. When they go after this one particular target, I then remember wait, these, this is like, these are like hundreds of rats. The swarms are going to split. Really? Yep. I split it by hit points, effectively. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I think this is a good way to handle hordes, and especially if you can put multiple horde tokens on the battlefield. Yep. Now, as we discussed beforehand, though, that's not the only way you can do it. There's lots sure. you can do. Like, mm-hmm. There's like the minion mechanic, where basically all the enemies have one HP. Or if you do something like that, you can just do average damage, 
which just speeds things up. Yep. You can instead of like rolling for attacks to say, okay, this is their de- attack modifier. You add plus one for every main attacking player. Yep. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. That's one of my favorite mechanics in 4E. Yeah. Um, I think minions are amazing, and I'm sure it's not going to oh, be long yeah. before 5E brings them in. 5.5 or anniversary edition, or whatever they're going to call it. I'm watching. Mm. All right. Does anybody got any other uh, further details on this topic before we move on? Yeah. Yes, but we don't have so much time. <laughs> yeah. Just to keep in mind that, you know, living things don't like to be hurt, and there's a reason why pikes worked, and why they probably wouldn't work in an undead scenario. So, it's funny you talk about that. I'm going to make this really quick. Uh, I was running this theory with... Damn it, Brandon. <laughs> with bandits. And mm. the bandits, they have morale. They're not all willing to die mm. for their leader. So when I was running the horde and it got down to 25%, I rolled the uh, the, the commander's charisma check uh, versus the, the insight of the group or morale. And I'm like, oh, that section just ran away. They basically – I just took away like a quarter of the monster's hit points yeah. Yep. as describing them fleeing. <clears throat> so that's certainly yeah. something that you can do as well when they know it's going bad. Run away! <laughs> yeah, like it, it definitely feel like key is to make sure that not every single horde you run, it goes through the whole lot. Swarm them like they're all undead hordes. Yeah. Like, hey, Benny, keep in mind what kind of creatures you're using. Of the river. <laughs> all right, that'll do it for our yep. main topic today: how to run monster hordes in D anD. D. Before we move on to our honor tips and tricks segment. Alright Dungeons and Dragons fans, I'm going to be honest, I can't always find time for Dungeons and Dragons, and when I can't, I like to jump on some of my favorite video games. If you're anything like me, you hate playing with random toxic teammates. It really just ruins our fun, doesn't it? What if there was a platform that could help you find gamers exactly like you? I want to introduce you to our today's sponsor, eBlitz, the perfect social looking for group app for gamers of all levels. And trust me, I really range all levels. Helping you meet and match with like-minded, non-toxic gamers to play your favorite games in seconds. Once again, if you're anything like me, I don't get much time to play games. So when I do, I don't want to be steamrolled by some cursing punk. eBlitz allows you to simply start swiping to match with other gamers who share your similar interests, be it games, platform of choice, country, etc. Grow your buddy network with every single match you play so that you have a list of gamers to connect with and play with whenever you want them, giving you a better gaming experience, no more dealing with toxic players that just ruin it for everyone. You can download it today for free off the App Store and Google Play Store. You can find links in the description or visit rebrand.ly slash eblitzgoogle or rebrand.ly slash eblitzapple. We. Give me money, give me money. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. We have released our gambler. A new 5e martial class with three subclasses known as gambling circles. Um, If you're looking for something fun and new, I highly recommend you check this out. Um, It's a lot of fun. It has a very unique dice mechanic um, called Gamble, surprise, where you throw 2d6. And depending on what it rolls, it gives you different benefits. For instance, 
if you use your bonus action to gamble and you roll two sixes, giving you a 12, you're a high roller, which means your next melee attack within a minute is an automatic crit on a hit. Oh, yeah. Now, that how many cool. combinations in, in with two d6s can you get to get? One out of three six. One. One. Just one combination, right? Yeah. But you're saying percentage, right? Well, no, it's a one out of three six if you're rolling two oh, yeah, dice. Oh, yeah, you're right. Only one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, that also means that that's one of the more potent ones. Yeah, like roulette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, let's just say I definitely know what the percentages are of 2d6 because I played so much hero clicks over the years. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, the more average one, like uh, Lucky Sevens, if you roll seven, which is statistically the most high, it allows you to get hit, uh, temporary hit points equal to your love gambler level plus your proficiency bonus. So it scales with your, your character and is used enough. I think your gamble dice recharges on a, a short rest. So yep. um, it's a very fun mechanic. Um, we had some really great feedback. Um, if this sounds obviously, who doesn't uh, love ro- running or throwing poker chips or dice or cards at their enemy? That becomes mm. your kind of primary weapon, and you can change in and out of melee and range. I'm nothing about the butler from Hunter Hunter. Yes. Be sure yes. to stock up on decks. Be cutting people. Yes. So uh, <laughs> one so of them <laughs> from Hunter Hunter. <laughs> yes. Yes. Soka's probably closer. It's a lot of fun. Um, each one focuses on something a little different. We have Hot Streak. Yep. Which actually infuses it with magic a la Gambit style, right? Yep. Um, though he uses force, not fire, but whatever. Yep. Um, and then the other two are totally focused. Uh, one's focused high on damage output. The other one's on, you know, a little bit more oh. information gathering. Should have yep. added a mechanic called tilting. <laughs> you mean cheating? No, tilting. What's tilting? Tilting is when you're doing good in poker and you just start losing every single hand. Oh. And you should recognize, oh, I'm losing, I should stop. You should have been like, oh, if you jack up three times in a row, then like this benefit happens. Let's talk about the, the hey. gambles, uh, snake eyes. Hey, you gotta know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Yep, there it is. Mm. You gotta know when to hold them. I don't know the rest of the song or care, honestly. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, if you roll snake eyes, you get an unfortunate debuff <laughs> that lasts <laughs> for a round. It's only a round, but like all attacks on you have advantage and you have disadvantage and all saves. It's horrible. Now I'm just imagining some poor fella going snake eyes, snake eyes, snake eyes, snake well, eyes. Well, so there eyes. is a mechanic that lets you change one of the die. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, uh, please consider checking out The Gambler. Uh, it's out now. You can head on over to rebrand.ly slash Gambler. Pick it up. We love it. Support us. You help. It's a good class. I watched us and play it the other day, and it looks fun. So much fun. <laughs> My character's name was Punchline, and I had a lot of them. <laughs> Uh, I good. definitely love controlled chaos the most in D and D. Not gonna lie, me, me and Trey are Tibor going. How haven't we killed his character yet? <laughs> <laughs> are, are you guys part of the same party? Yes, and <laughs> I don't see what that has anything to do with it. You can only handle so many puns before you're ready to throw yourself <laughs> off the edge, or at the very least, punish the person. So uh, that'll do uh, it uh, for that. Let's move on to our honor tips and tricks. <laughs> and now. What you've all been waiting for, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. All right, I am really excited today to talk to you guys about the Gaja Warrior. I thought it was Gaha. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to go get me so some. So what oh, is a Gaja oh, Warrior? It is a elephant man warrior. Because Loxodon is already taken and copyrighted. Yeah. 
so I had to come up with something else. Here we got the Gaja Warrior. In order to build it, we're going to start with the Minotaur stat block. I'm really excited. This is obviously elephants are huge. They have powerful trunk. They have powerful build, right? Yep. That makes them really strong, um, which doubles their carry capacity, which is perfect. Yep. They also have trampling charge, uh, which allows them to gain significant mm -hmm. bonuses when they charge 20 feet. Specifically, when they hit a target, they can knock it prone mm -hmm. uh, if they fail a strength save, which is really great. And they get multi attack. But they're great access. Oh, yes. Swing it, swing so it, beautiful. swing it. Um, but if they knock a target down with their charging trample, they can literally give them the boot stomp or the hoof stomp. I don't think elephant men, giant yeah. elephant men can wear boots, but they One give them the hoof time. stomp, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was that? I think I broke his skull. <laughs> um, of course, we're going to also top it off with a reaction. Um, so when a creature scores a critical hit, a critical hit against the Gaja, it can use its reaction to release a deafening thunderclap from its trunk that echoes out to 500 feet, deafening and dealing thunder damage to the targets. Um, it's gonna get hit by it's that. awesome. The art is beautiful. What would you guys do with something like this? Man, getting hit hit by that side damage from that trunk, you just got to pack it up afterwards. I would make this a <laughs> temple guardian. A temple guardian. Why? Because it looks like it's made for tanking. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, what about you, Garwin? Stay out. Well, considering the name, I'd make him a bounty hunter, and every tra time he trampled his target down, he'd yell, Gotcha! <laughs> That's glorious! <laughs> gotcha. That is way... Gotcha. Gotcha is Malay for elephant. Yeah. I know. Isn't yeah. that cool? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't an accident. I picked the name. <laughs> Apparently he was also a military uh, leader. Uh, anyways, um, so I really this like this. I like a monster that focuses on charging and running and stampeding. The fact that mm. we're able to leverage the big trunk and give it a kind of a thunderous, you know, boom is really great. That's probably it has um, grapple. It doesn't. It can. It can grapple. It doesn't need to have an ability. Yeah, I just thought about knowing you. It's like, oh, I love creatures that uh, stampede and run people over all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, you like grapple too, don't you? Yeah, I do. I like to <laughs> grapple people with this trunk. But anyways, um, if you like this and you want to check out the full stat block, you can check out our blog. Or if you want to get all the artwork, a beautiful backstory, and details, um, please consider becoming a patron where all our patrons get it. Garwin can probably attest to the, the, the quality of the material there, hopefully in a good light. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely can. I may or may not have stolen a few things. Well, is it really stolen if I'm sending it to you? <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean... <laughs> All right, that'll Maybe. do it for our monster. Um, our next... <clears throat> our, <laughs> our next uh, thing is our encounter of the podcast, which has been brought to us by our special guest... Garwin, would oh. you like to tell us oh. about the mad orc? It's an orc. Of course, it's an <laughs> it's orc. Thing. It's I don't even think he knows that there's more <laughs> monsters. And I think his monster manual is just orcs. Like, oh, hey, look at this look, orc look, lich. Look, look, look. look at this. Orc. I created my own special monster manual. It's only two pages. It's just the orc section. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about the mad orc, there, uh, Garwin. Gnome druids. Uh, the party has been told to investigate rumors of a mad orc wandering an ancient battlefield. There's evidence he's preparing some ritual at one of the mass graves there. While no one is sure what, they're convinced it's for evil. Yorick, has n Yorick actually has no ill intentions. 
and he simply wishes to fulfill his dream of being an elephant herder. If left alone, Yorick will start herding a hundred skeletons from battlefield to battlefield and clean up the mess by having them graze there. As the party comes <laughs> upon the scene, Yorick has started his ritual. A maelstrom of necrotic energy is beginning to gather over the mass grave, and he carefully harnesses it into the bones, his face scrunched up in concentration. Yorick is flanked by two huge skeletons, Bill and Billy, winning crude <laughs> barding, AC-16, that provides full cover to the skeletal cargo, protecting them from attacks from outside the ribs. Bill carries four skeletons armed with pikes, and Billy carries four armed with longbows. If attacked, Yorick will focus on the ritual while Bill and Billy protect him. At the start of each round, roll a DC 14 wisdom save for Yorick. If he fails, he gets distracted by the battle, and bolts of necrotic energy strike out at random creatures. Have everyone roll a DC 15 deck save, or take 2d8 necrotic damage on a hit. Undead get healed by the damage they take. Every five rounds, Yorick is uninterrupted, a skeleton rises from the grave and wanders off in a random direction unless attacked. <laughs> then he joins the fray. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, now I make... Uh, so, Thanks, bye. Uh, I'd just like to say, if you change the Minotaur stat block with the Skeletal Minotaur, you now have a Skeletal Gaja Warrior. Thank you, Garwin, oh, for yeah. that. I love this encounter very, very much. Anytime there's a complex ritual or something going on in the background that the players have to deal with, aside from just slaying monsters, that's always fun to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I especially love the fact that this, the entire scenario, is like when you players walk upon it, it seems like the classical necromancer doing evil got to attack it immediately, no questions asked. Right. When if they had just stopped to ask, it would have just been over. No battle needed. Right. I think what gets me the most is the whole, uh, if he gets distracted, the players get hit. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that. That's a huge thing that I don't usually do, and I like that. Because then he loses mm. control of the energy, and it just kind of goes everywhere, but it attacks both sides. Yeah, like, I really want to bring in the fact that he had no ill intentions. He doesn't want to hurt anybody, and the only damage being done is the player's fault. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, Billy! Stop attacking Billy! Now, what, what was he doing there? He wanted to be a herder or something? He just wants to collect elephant skeletons and make him into like a herd that he can. Yeah, oh, he wanted okay. to be an elephant herder, but elephants don't live very where he is, and he doesn't know how to actually herd them. So he just Gross starts in necromancy because he is a genius of the art. That's funny. And makes skeletons. I love the the mix of necromancy and good intentions. I'm not thinking about how. Yeah. A lot of historians speculate where Cyclops came from is because like ancient Greeks like found like like Mastodon skeletons, but never seen the elephant, so they didn't know what they look like. So they assembled them in the humanoid shape, and certainly like there's like a huge hole where the trunk is on, on the skull. They like oh well, must be an eye. <laughs> ah, intelligence. Well, to be fair, we've never seen one before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're limited by the knowledge we actually possess. And the more oh, you yeah. know, the more you realize you don't know. All right. All right. I love the encounter. Thanks so much for bringing it to the table, uh, Garwin. Uh, Ian, would you like to tell us about our magical item today? Happily. Our magical item today is the Crackling Great Maul. It is a legendary weapon that requires attunement. You gain plus one to attack and damage rolls made with this weapon. Fuck? It's size for a giant... 
It weighs 300 pounds. And it deals 3d10 bludgeoning damage on a hit. Plus an extra 2d12 bludgeoning damage to creatures at least one size smaller than you. The mall sheds green light as a torch when dragons are within one mile. The light can't be shut off due to this condition. And as an action, you can cast a version of the Scorching Ray spell that deals lightning damage to fire. Once this power is used, you cannot use it again until next dawn. Now, I can think of a few characters, like player characters that can use this, not just giants, which I'm assuming this is what it was made for, given the fact that, well, giants hate dragons. That's true. Because I could easily see, like, a, like a, a Goliath wielding this, or a fighter who, t- <clears throat> who took like, the um, room fighter archetype. Mm-hmm. They can make themselves bigger. Yeah, I was just so... Saying, is there anything other than a, a Goliath that could carry this thing? Locks it on. Anyone with powerful builds can carry it. Yep. Yeah. Interesting restriction, huh? Yeah. Because it doesn't say it's only for Goliaths. It just has a strength restriction, yep. which means people that have the enhanced strength yeah. spell cast on them, for instance. Or in large person, but the... That's what I, that's what I meant. What did I say? Not that. Anyway, <laughs> and the Rune Knight, too, can make themselves bigger if they get more spaces, so they could qualify for this. Yep, yep. And note how this is a legendary item, so in theory, this should be a high-level... <laughs> yes. Item. Also, if a character that doesn't have the powerful build or any of the other things has 20 strength, and they wear nothing else, and wield nothing else, and carry nothing else, they can wield it. Oh, nice. If their carry capacity is exactly 300. So if you're if you're really dedicated, <laughs> you can yeah. do it. <laughs> but clearly it's designed for creatures that have the powerful build that allows them to push, mm. pull, and lift, or double their strength, whatever it is. Or Goliath Barbarians. Actually, this would be great for a Barbarians, because their damage doesn't really scale once they get set extra attack. <laughs> yeah. I guess technically anyone who can do a naked warrior. <laughs> uh, yeah. Enhanced ability. <laughs> uh, using, using the barrier allows them to carry twice uh, as much of their weight. Yeah. Something. I like that. So, it just makes me think of uh, an Elden Ring character carrying that big ass hammer right, with them right, around. Right. Uh, I'm just right. imagining so, a naked dwarf going into a dungeon, dragging this behind him. Yeah. <laughs> I actually like the aspect, too, that you... Like, your average character can wield this, but you have to pay for it, if that makes any sense. And given the yeah. extra damage this thing can do, I'm okay with that. You're talking about, like, the uh, disadvantage on attack rolls? No, I mean, like, uh, you have to do cast spells on the a character for them to use it. Like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the that was the intent behind it, right? It yeah. wasn't... Uh, which actually forces party synergy. <laughs> which I'm a fan of. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, I, I also like the Scorching Ray that deals lightning damage. Yeah. All right. Uh, (laughs) All right, that'll do it for our magic item. Our dungeon master tip. Brandon, would you like to tell us about it? Better monster knowledge checks. When it comes to sharing knowledge with players about monsters, we as GMs typically choose some sort of intelligence check. Yeah. Uh, Or just directly inform the players with what their characters know. Right. And can sometimes feel a bit bland or binary during the game. If we consider knowledge checks to be more of a range band, we can significantly increase the narrative of monster knowledge as it pertains to the player characters. In a fantasy world, substitution uh, and misinformation is common. (laughs) (laughs) Those damn stegosauruses. Games of telephone. That's an inside joke. Those damn cursed stegosauruses. And don't forget the gnome druids. They misidentified... uh, Basilisks. Basilisks. (laughs) It is a weird stegosaurus. (laughs) 
Now I remember one time when I was misidentified <laughs> Lizardman as Kobolds when the GM described it. This is particularly <laughs> this is particularly true over long distances. Details, rumors, and understanding of monsters also changes between groups. For instance, commoners like uh, likely have less understanding and information than merchants who travel, or nobles who have guards and aren't put into situations where they must engage directly with monsters. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we know adventurers are certainly more informed on monsters than most, but that doesn't mean they know everything about a monster's skills, weapon techniques, weaknesses, strategy, etc. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so how do we capture this variation with a knowledge check? Well, instead of setting a single DC, such as a DC 15 intelligence arcana check, to learn what knowledge a character knows about methods, in this case, if they fail... They may only learn that a method is an elemental creature. <laughs> so much information. Uh, but a success may reveal the method is a magma method from the elemental plane of fire and can breathe fire. Okay. <sighs> yes, I could not see. I could not realize that this fire creature to do fire. <laughs> that method's on fire. Mm. I bet it blows ice. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, broke your tip already. That's beautiful. If we look at monster knowledge checks as a range band instead of just a success or a fail, we can expand how much knowledge is known based on the value. If we set the range from 5 to 30, uh, we can make a knowledge check progressive. Yeah, like uh, a negative under a 5 on the check, maybe they just heard of the creature, and any information it identifies is out, outright misleading. Fuck you. Get, get. <laughs> oh, must be an ogre. This will be a troll. <laughs> it's definitely a troll. See how it's looking at you? Oh, God. Uh, maybe a ne- uh, under a 10, the characters know some rumors. Some of it is inaccurate, but there is some ideas behind it, right? Mm. Yep. I heard that there's a great lizard folk warrior in this cave. Little kobold called Steve. <laughs> like, I, th- I think a great example of that would be like, oh, there's a pirate with a, a hook hand. And you're, and you're looking for a pirate this whole time with a hook for a hand. When in actuality, it's a captain with a tattoo of a hook on his hand. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Also, what the heck? Solar uh, methods beautiful. with fire and forensic audits will prove it. <laughs> forensic audits. Uh, okay. hmm. Anyway, so uh, a 15 or less can accurately identify the creature as well as some of its iconic features and traits. Yep. Cause it's, a, it's a red dragon. It breathes fire. <laughs> yeah, that's a good start, right? It can fly, too. Yeah. And and maybe it can speak. Oh my god, my the players at church that I ran the game for when they ran into a dragon, they freaked out when they realized it could talk. What? Like they thought they <laughs> oh, were hunting a beautiful. beast. Yep. Until it outsmarted them and then spoke to them. They're like, it talks. They're like, I don't want to kill it now. This this can talk. New plan. <laughs> it occurred. It never occurred to me that they didn't have any uh, uh, prior experience. Prior experience with it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. uh, so oh, God. Uh, uh, it really throws under- you for a loop when when you suddenly realize, wait, this thing talks. It has a soul. It might have a family. <laughs> so no, I had a it's like, like, uh, little like gold one of them. That. One is uh, not evil, yeah, uh-huh. and then it just kind of like befriends them. It's like I thought dragons were bad. It's like, no, not all of them are. <laughs> Maybe uh, slaps around one of the douche players because there's definitely one of yep. those. Uh, at a ne- <laughs> under a twenty, the character is well educated. Uh, on the uh, creature, its features, traits, and perhaps immunities and resistances. 
at a 25 or lower. Um, and I keep saying lower. Obviously, it's a range, right? I didn't yeah. explain that very well as we were talking. 20 to 25. 20, so it's 20 to 25, right? So uh, the character has advanced understanding of the creature's culture, history, features, traits, and even weaknesses. Ooh, that's important. And then at a thir- uh, 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 25 to 30, right, the range should include <laughs> even unique creatures. 25 right. to 30. You dissected it in high school. <laughs> you, you know everything there is to know about it. Well, it's more it's more than just anything about a dragon, but maybe specific dragons. Yep. Right? Like, uh, uh, I, I, do you guys know a dragon's name? A dragon's Smog. name? Smog, right? Ildrich so you know everything Inferno. about Smog, specifically, and red dragons in general, right? So, overall, what do you guys think? Yep. I like this idea. Um, I definitely like the idea, yeah. I do, too. And I think this actually does, I think, help drive home the point where we kind of t- touched on this t- on the topic of uh, metagaming a little bit. But one of my favorite pocket, uh, YouTubers, Seth Skorkowski, I like it when he said one time in one of his podcasts, okay, if you tell the players it's a troll, don't be shocked if they treat it like it's a troll. Now, if you describe it as a huge hulking humanoid, then you have something to work with. Yes, because then there's yeah. a lot of range in between there, right? Yep. That, you, I, I do what they uh, get, And I'm just saying that, yeah. that can remind me of that because if you start off as like, you just know it's a huge hulking humanoid, that could be several things. It could be. so. Mm-hmm. Could be a Goliath, yeah. could be a giant, could be a Noman yeah. still. And it also brings up other issues where, like, <laughs> like, let's say from the player's perspective, you're told it's a troll, but you can't just know it's a troll. And then when you cut it, it heals. Like, you as a player really want to use acid or something, and you know that you might have figured out to use acid or fire, but now it looks like metagaming if you do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He- he- hence the comment, if you tell the players it's a troll, don't be surprised if you treat like a troll. <laughs> it's a swamp troll. Yeah. Mm. Turns out it's only acid stops it from regenerating, not fire. Yeah. All right, so that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Our player tip is don't be a dick by being a dick. All right. Today we're going to talk about the best rogue build, the ultimate shooter. That sounds like being a dick to me. It does. The core of the rogue's <laughs> damage, we all know, comes from sneak attack, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, the feature itself is pretty powerful, but it does require specific conditions to achieve. Would you agree? Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. Did you know that there's an option that they can take in Tasha's called steady aim that can ensure they get it every time? Yep. No. What? Yep. Yeah. Steady aim basically what, says. What did you think I was using in your game, Brandon? <laughs> uh, <laughs> cheating. <laughs> no, so uh, steady aim's restriction is pretty obvious, though. Yep. You can't move. Yeah. Can't move before or after. Oh yeah, think, that's right? right. Okay. Yeah. That's a big limitation. Yep. But. But adva- getting advantage and in triggering your sneak attack every time, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, but we still can't move. So what can we do to make this better, Ian? Doesn't matter if you're a sniper. <laughs> get why? Well, basically, uh, take a page from the uh, Mongol horse archers and uh, get yourself a mount. Ooh. That's bullshit. Yes, that, because that's guess finding what? a loophole. So you're not moving on a horse. You're not moving. moving. The horse is moving, right? Yeah. But yep. how how can a a rogue get access to this? They can buy one. Well, they could certainly buy one. They could <laughs> steal one. They're rogues. I didn't even think about that. Mm. I got a little fancy to ensure you get because that still has DM fiat, right? A yeah. DM may not give you present the opportunity yeah. to buy one. Yeah, but it does get to a point that where it becomes BS, depending on where you're at. There's horses everywhere, but some people don't want to give up their horses, yep. especially like small farm villages, right? Yeah. I mean, anyway, so let's say you steal it. 
Yeah, get, let, let's say that they, I'm, they... I'm saying if you're in water deep, give them a, you better have a freaking good reason why you can't buy a horse. Yeah, <laughs> but not everyone has that, so we need to have a way to cover this, right? Oh, yeah. So, fortunately, have you ever heard of the Ritual Caster feat? Yeah. Yes. It allows you to basically learn pretty much any ritual that you can find access to, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> the pick. Oh, come on. So, wizards, guess what's on their spell list? Phantom Steed. The Phantom right. Steed spell. That means spell. if you're inside, you can still pop a horse in front yes. of you. That's such... Okay. Yeah. It's like a, it's like uh, uh, Lynx using Epona's, uh, the Ocarina playing Epona's song. She just shows right up for you. So once you learn that, they can cast it, and it la- summons a spectral horse with 200. You can move up to 200 feet per round because the horse's dash action yep. is not your action. It, it makes me think of Pokemon when you try to use the bike in a place you can't. It's like, there's a time and a place for everything. This isn't the time. <laughs> the place. <laughs> Um, and this is also cool because, uh, first of all, you're fast as hell. The enemy can't catch you. Sonic's even going to have trouble catching you. You can dart around from a distance, popping shots, add advantage, trigger and sneak attack, and just giving him the middle archer finger the entire time. I do want to point out, too, that your mount does count as an ally. So even if you're in melee. Yep. That's brutal. Yep. Sorry, I didn't even think about that. Yep. Your mount also counts as an ally. So if you don't use steady aim, yeah. you draw two weapons, you get advantage on both those attacks. You trigger that sneak attack, too. Yeah. So, anyways. Fun? No fun? I think it's fun. Power gamers, you're welcome. Oh, it's definitely an idea. Min-maxers, oh you're welcome. Role players, you're welcome. Yep. Because who isn't so going to want I a little stick pack? with my favorite rogue build. What's that? My favorite rogue build, the Tabaxi Swashbuckler. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Like, you run in... You run in, bash them, run out. Next turn, steady aim. Turn after, run in, run out. <laughs> I, I, mean, <laughs> repeat. I mean, if you use their racial feature, yeah. they can't move to the next turn anyway. So, yeah. So what does it matter? Yeah. yeah. That's a good combo. Yeah. Bonus tip for everyone. It's like, it, they synergize, actually. I love that. All right. I think that'll do it for our players of the podcast. Don't be, be a dick. dick. All right, that'll do it for our show today. We <laughs> hope you enjoyed it. Um, we had a lot of fun today. I love today's topic. Um, if you don't know, we will be going to uh, we'll be visiting Second. GooseCon <laughs> in September thirtieth. Thirtieth, um, please join us there. We will also be going to GrandCon where we will have a booth selling some of our fat loots. Um, you can see some of it here. Uh, what day uh, is that? Uh, uh, Labor Day. Oh, weekend. she's got it up there. I still can't read it. It's too small. Okay, Labor yeah, Day weekend, though. And there's text over it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's errors over it on my screen. So, <laughs> Anyway, so please, if, you, if you're in the area, come and hang out. Um, come do some games with us. We'll be running games and stuff at GooseCon. Uh, at, uh, 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 what's the other one? GrandCon? Yeah. So please come hang out with us. Kick it with us. We'll get some pictures. I'll even sign something for you. Um, yeah. Oh, how's the value? Well, it has. It may not have value, but it sure make me feel good. <laughs> no, no, no. I said it will have the value. Oh, someday. <laughs> oh, someday. it'll have. <laughs> All right. Um. So we have, we just got another app opening for our 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 co-host on the show. If you're in the Michigan area, so. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that'll do it for our show today. If you want to support us, visit CritAcademy.com. Check out our Gambler, all our fat loots. Um, follow us on social media. That'll do it for our show today. I am your host, Justin. I'm your guest, Garvin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening.
Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes! You alright? No, I just sat on my balls. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that! <laughs>